0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to Zechariah, Zechariah chapter three. In Christ is for the believer our advocate. He's our advocate, beloved. He's the the one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Zechariah here, we look at these verses here, Zechariah three verses one to ten. we see in verses 8 to 10 that our Lord is spoken of in one of his titles. We see there as the branch. And what this passage brings forth is the anticipation of Christ, of his coming. Look at this in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. See, Satan's the accuser of the brethren. We saw that, we see that in the book of Job, don't we? But he can only do what God allows, beloved. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's a created being. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now look at this. Here's Joshua. Here's him in his natural state. Look at this. This shows us the natural state of man. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. That's us. And do you know that every believer is a brand plucked out of the fire? We're we're, we're brands plucked out of the fire. Look at this. So he's standing there with filthy garments. Look at this. And he answered and spake unto, uh, unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. Take away the rags of his self righteousness. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. It's gone. Your your sins are forgiven. And I will clothe thee with the chains of raiment. What's the chains of raiment that we've been clothed with as believers? The righteousness of Christ. So this is a picture right here before us in the Old Testament of God. And he's doing the clothing. It's at God's command, isn't it? Joshua's not putting the garment on himself. It's put on him. Oh, beloved. God's so merciful to us. He's so merciful. He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And then I said, and then I said let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by well that's Christ and the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua saying thus saith the Lord of hosts if thou wilt walk in my ways and if thou wilt keep my charge then thou shalt also judge my house and thou shalt also keep my courts and I will give these places to walk among those, these that stand by hear now O Joshua the high priest thou and thy fellows that sit before thee for they are men wondered at for behold i will bring forth my servant the branch there is the messiah there's a name of christ he's called the branch what do you say i'm the vine and you're what the branches but that's singular there isn't it it doesn't say there's many who's the branch It's singular christ is the is the branch he's the vine and we're simply the branches and without him we can do nothing For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Well, Christ accomplished our salvation on Calvary's cross, right? In one day. (laughs) He died upon Calvary's cross. Oh, my. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, ye shall call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig trees. So we see here in verses 8 to 10 that our Lord Jesus Christ is spoken of in one of his titles in the Old Testament. He's called the branch. And how the saints of old anticipated the coming of the Messiah. They, they anticipated the Messiah coming. And how the, the people of God, the true born again people of God who, who were alive at the birth of Christ anticipated The coming Messiah. The coming Messiah. They look for his coming. They look for the day when they would see him. Job proclaimed this, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth. I I know he lives. Now, have we ever seen Christ? No, but we know he lives, don't we? We know he lives. By faith, we know he lives. Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth. You know, Job had the same faith we have. He was looking to... <laughs> While well, our bodies are in the grave, decomposing, the minute we breathe our last breath, as believers, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. We'll get our glorified bodies when the Lord comes back, if we die before He comes back. Oh, my. My, oh, my. <laughs> My oh my, it's wonderful! He says this here. He says, "If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and thou shalt also keep my courts, and I'll give thee places to walk among those that stand by." Now, the religious, the religious uh, legalists of of this day of the New Testament, one time bought a, a woman before Christ. Woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Turn if you would to John chapter 8. Now these these religious legalists were always trying to trap our king, beloved. They were always trying to ensnare our king somehow, some way. They were always trying to do it. They wanted to trap him. They didn't know he's God in the flesh. They didn't know he could he knew their thoughts. And they said, Moses and the law requires that she be stoned. This woman, by the law, needs to be stoned. And then they asked the Lord, what do you say? And if the master had said, stone her, put put her to death, they they would have thought that would discredit his reputation for mercy and compassion. So either way, he answered, they they were looking to ensnare him either way. Let's read this wondrous text here. Look at this in, in, in John chapter 8, verses 1. And This is, this is a, a great encounter. This is by divine providence that, that the Lord would encounter this woman. Look at this. Now, sin is not, God's not the author of sin. Man is. But this didn't catch God by surprise, what happened. Not at all. Not at all. What does God have to do for a man to go to hell? Just leave him alone. What does God have to do for for a man to go to glory? Everything. Everything. Let's read this. Verse 1 of John chapter 8. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him. and, And he sat down and he taught them. That's what our Lord would do. He'd go to the synagogue. And he'd teach People who would listen. And here's the religious scribes and Pharisees. Look at this. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And we know that they, they caught her in the very act. And when they had set her in the midst, they said, unto the master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And you could just hear their, you could just hear their legalistic condemnation. We caught her in the very act. And then now they're going to school the Lord on what the law says. They think. Remember, the law and the prophets, they testify of him. but, But the Pharisees don't know that. They have no clue. And They say this, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? So they've already concluded her guilty and that she needs to be stoned. Huh? And remember who these people are. These are self-righteous Pharisees who think they do nothing wrong. Yeah, th- I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are religious people. When I say, "Well, we're all sinners," they, they oh, well oh, oh. no, we are sinners. And and we who are saved are saved sinners. And we know that, don't we? See, man, natural man is in denial of who we really are. Who we really are. Look at what it says here. Then they, or this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Look at that. Now, if he answered forgiver, then they, they thought that would vindicate their claim that he was just a lawless rebel. If he had said, well, forgiver. They'd say, well, see, see, he's exactly what we told you. A lawless rebel. He has no concern for the law of God. But no, Christ is not. The, the law and the prophets speak of him. They testify of him in his holiness. That they thought they could ensnare him with this. And it was a real problem. Indeed, it's a a problem that must be dealt with. How can the Holy Lord God be both merciful and just? How can he be both gracious and true? How can God both forgive sin and yet honor his law? How can he do that? And we see here in verse 6 that the Savior stooped down and wrote on the ground as as though he had not heard them. And note note in in verse 7, they continued to badger him. They don't let up. They're looking for an answer. And our Lord stands up and says these words, which I'll tell you what, they cut right to the soul of these men. He said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Look at this. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. so if any of you are sinless that's what he's saying to them if any of you are sinless then let you be the first to pick up a rock and throw it at her oh my oh my and remember who's saying this to them it's God incarnated in the flesh it's not no mere man it's not you and I calling each other sinners this is God saying this saying if you're without sin you pick up a rock and you throw it at her then And then what did he do? He stooped down again and wrote on the ground. So he, 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 he lifted himself up. He said those, those amazing words. He that, without, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then he stooped back down and wrote on the ground. We don't know what our Lord wrote on the ground. I'm not even going to speculate on what our Lord wrote on the ground. I've heard many people speculate on what he wrote. We don't know. We don't know what he wrote. But they who heard his words were convicted by their own conscience, weren't they? These self-righteous legalists were sent packing. Why? Because not one of them was without sin. Not one of them. And note they left beginning with the eldest... And the woman was eventually left alone. The eldest, probably the most wise among them, was cut to the bone. Remember the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? It divides, it it cuts through marrow and bone, doesn't it? It gets to our souls, beloved. And look at verse 9. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience... They were convicted by their own conscience that they were sinners. Went out one by one. They left one by one. (laughs) Beginning at the eldest, the eldest would probably put his head down just as walking away. (laughs) Convicted by his own conscience. Even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in their midst. In his midst. In the midst. So... Here's the Lord, left with this woman. All her accusers have just vanished. They've all left. Now, this is a divine appointment, right? This lady who's an adulterer, who's a sinner, just like you and I, sinners. I'll tell you, in the eyes of God, sin is sin. See, we categorize sin. Sin. We have degrees for sin. Sin is sin to God. It's sin. My oh mind. It's all it's all sinning against his law and sinning against him. That's who we sin against. When we sin we sin against God. So these self righteous legalists are convicted by their own conscience and they went away one by one, from the eldest to the youngest. And then note note the compassion that flows next. Note the compassion of our Lord. Note, Note the mercy of our Lord. Flowing forth in verse 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Now he's not asking this for information. He already knows where they went. And he already knows why they left. This is for our learning, beloved. This is for our learning. This is for us to to learn and to grow. Hath no man condemned thee? Where'd they all go? All these accusers, where'd they go? And again, he's not asking for information. And listen to what one grace preacher says about the fact that our Lord stooped down twice. Twice. I thought this was interesting because our Lord stooped down twice in our text there. The fact that our Savior stooped down twice is significant. It has a direct connection to what he said to the adulterous woman. The Son of God stooped down once to become a man. Right? He stooped down to be born of a virgin and rose from infancy to manhood that he might bring everlasting righteousness for sinners by his perfect obedience to God. Then he stooped down the second time when he died in the room and place of sinners. Stooped down the second time, burying our sins in his own body on the tree. And then what happened? He rose. He arose. Why did he arise? To declare redemption accomplished by the satisfaction of divine justice. Scripture says he's raised for our justification. Why? Because it was a perfect salvation as we looked at in Sunday school. The Greek word, when, it, when the Lord cried, it is finished, the Greek word there brings forth that it's a work of perfection. Not only did it, does the, the Greek word doesn't just mean to be brought to an end, it means to be brought to perfection. When he cried, it is finished, he's saying, it's perfect. The work he is that's what that Greek word means—to be bought to to perfection. And remember this: I mentioned this earlier. I'm going to mention it again. That work was done by He who is the perfect man. See, we're sinners, right? We're incapable of saving ourselves or producing a salvation for ourselves. Or for anyone else, but the perfect man obtained eternal salvation for us by a perfect work. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and all who trust him, all who look to him by faith, will be saved. What did Paul say to that Philippian Jerry? He said, What must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. My isn't that wonderful? absolutely wonderful so the basis of the finished work of redemption when he lifted himself up the second time he spoke to the woman words of forgiveness didn't he which again the second time pictures his work on the cross my look at this look at verse 11 she said no man lord all my, all, all my accusers are gone. They're all gone. And I'll tell you, this is one of the Lord's sheep. This is one of the Lord's sheep. And we're going to find out that in the next few verses here. Or in, this, in the rest of this verse. She said, no man, Lord. Notice she called him Lord, too. She didn't just call him master. She called him Lord. Lord, no man, Lord. No man, Lord. And Jesus, look at this. This is God in the flesh. Look what he says. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This is one of one who he's going to die for. This is one who was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. She doesn't even know it. And look what he says to her. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, did she sin again? Yeah. She did. She did. Did God count it against her? No, because she was cleansed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Again, it's not a license for us to go out and do whatever we want. It's not. But God's people are so forgiven of their sins. Christ, Christ, his work was a perfect work. He saved our souls, beloved. And he says to this woman, go and sin no more. Now, she's like us. She's, she's, she's going to go and, and she's going to sin, but she's going to sin more than she wants to. She'll be convicted of her sin now. But in God's eyes, she's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Remember Joshua with those filthy garments? Now this is, this is a this is a sinner, isn't she? Just like you and I. Sin is sin in God's eyes, right? How much sin does it, does, it, does it need to be performed in order for someone to go to hell? Just one, whether it be a lie or stealing a paper clip. right? It's the intent of our hearts. Why do, why do men kill? Because, because we're sinners. Because we're sinners. Why do men steal? Because we're sinners. We do those things because we're sinners. Right? Why do we lie? Because we're sinners. what the Lord. these are marvelous Lords, what does the Lord say, or what does Paul write? There's therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit and and how can our Lord say, neither do I condemn thee, so he doesn't condemn them. God's elect will not be condemned. all those outside of Christ will, but not those in christ and he says. God himself in the flesh says, neither do I condemn thee. This is wonderful. See, we could go buy these things and, and, and read them and say, oh, well, he didn't condemn. Me. This is God saying this. And you know he says the same to us? Neither do I condemn thee. You're bought with my blood. You're purchased with my blood. It's wonderful. Our Lord, first of all, had silenced her accusers. We saw that. He silenced her accusers. And then what does he do to her? And she's obviously guilty, isn't she? She's obviously guilty. She's broken the law of God. Just like every one of us is in our, in our lives. She's, she's an outright lawbreaker. And Christ says to her, Neither do I condemn thee. This is the the giver of the law, too. This is no ordinary man. This is the one who gave the law. This is his law that she broke. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, the justice of God demands satisfaction for for the sin that, that we commit, doesn't it? Just as it did for her. It demanded satisfaction. And it finds us guilty every time no way out of it by our works and it demands to be satisfied it says the soul that sinned it must die must and Christ dies in our room and place the perfect one the sinless one satisfying the law of God he shall say, see the travail of his soul Isaiah wrote about Christ's work, God sees the travail of Christ's soul and shall be satisfied. It's wonderful news. Absolutely satisfied. And so God, God has silenced the justice of God. Christ, Christ by his death on the cross has silenced the justice of God that cries out for our condemnation. He silenced it, beloved by his perfect sin work when he died on Calvary's cross as our substitute my it's wonderful he ransomed our souls he purchased our eternal souls and so now this, this, this woman is clothed in the righteousness of Christ she's full and freely forgiven did she ask for it? no did she deserve it? No. Did she merit it? No. By her very acts she broke the law of God. By her very sin, just like we have. Do we merit the salvation we have? Do we merit full forgiveness? I mean full forgiveness too. There's not one sin that's not covered. We don't we don't deserve that. We don't merit. We don't even ask for it. Until God makes us will and in the day of his power, then we look to Christ, don't we? But in our natural state we, don't, we have nothing to do with God. But this this lady she cried out, "Lord, Lord." She said, "No man, Lord." And our Lord said, "Neither do I condemn thee. God incarnate in the flesh says, "Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more." My oh my. She's fully forgiven. She's freely forgiven. And this forgiveness is not conditional. It's not based upon anything we do. It's full. It's free. It's complete. And it's all in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us. He saved us. How? by dying on the cross for us, by shedding that precious, precious blood of his, the blood of the God-man, which ransomed our eternal souls, purchased our eternal souls. Oh, my. And now we walk in his ways, don't we? We who are the born-again people of God, now we walk in his ways. Now we desire to walk in his ways. We sin more than we want to, we desire to, to walk in the ways of Christ. We desire to hear the gospel. We desire to be with God's people. One of our dear sisters says she wished she could just sleep here all week and just be with God's people all week and not have to go out in the world. My, oh my, to hear the gospel every day. It's wonderful. And I understand what she's saying. She's saying she does this is the place where she feels comfort in hearing the gospel, in the fellowship that we have each week when we gather together. It's sweet. It's very sweet. And oh my, this woman's now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. She's and freely forgiven she's washed clean by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ from all her sins and our Lord says go and sin no more my her sins not counted turn if t- not counted against her turn if you would to, to Romans chapter 4 8, verse 8 and we'll see this truth brought forth Romans chapter 4 verse 8 this is just wonderful. I'm going to read a little bit from the, from the first verse to get the context of this verse for us, too. What shall we, we say then, verse 1, that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works he hath whereof to glory. So so if a man's justified by something you do, we're going to glory in it. We're going to glory in it. I'll tell you what. We will. We even have to fight that as believers. My. But not before God. Now, he, he he may find glory amongst men, but not before God. No. God will not share his glory with anyone. No one. Now, here we go. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Look at now. Here it is. Verse 7. Look at this. Remember, our Lord said, go and sin no more, Right? Look at this verse in light of that. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Iniquities forgiven? You mean all of them? All the sins covered, How? By the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. And look at verse 6. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man under whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Without works? So all these people that are are trying to gain righteousness, which is favor with God and merit, and to be clothed in, in 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 his perfect righteousness, they're trying to gain that by something they do. It says here that God imputes righteousness without works. Oh, my. It's freely given. And it's the righteousness of Christ. Again, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not, what? Impute sin. It won't be counted against them. Why? Because Christ paid for it all. He paid for it all. He, He did it all. He did it all. My. Now, the charge given to Joshua in the text that we read... And that which is given to the adulterous women is the same charge given to us, the charge we must keep. It's evidence of saving grace. Not a condition that we must meet to obtain grace, no. Because we be made partakers of the Holy Spirit. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, trusting and resting in Christ. And that's what we do. We trust and rest in the Christ. Scripture says, as ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. I mean, it's just walk in him, trust in him, look to him each day. And the angel of the Lord said to Joshua, I have taken away your sin, and I clothed you with, your, with the garments of salvation. He's saying, you've been made righteous in my, in my sight. How? By his righteousness. Mine. Look at Zechariah verses 8. Zechariah 3 verses 8 to 10. We see here Christ anticipated. O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men, wondered at, for behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, he shall call, upon, call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. So we see here that the angel of the Lord, which is Christ, tells Joshua and his fellows that everything pointed to in vivid picture of god's saving grace which is described in verses 1 to 7 these men had been wondered at they'd been wondered at and we see in these verses a great mess- messianic prophecy that speaks of our savior's coming he's the branch look at look again Look again at verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest. Thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. In Christ we saw in our past studies, he, when the fullness of time was come, he, he was born. And it's God who brought him forth. God prepared a body for the word of God, the second person of the Trinity. We know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this in Isaiah. It says this, and, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and, and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. So Messiah is prophesied as being the branch. Again, he's the vine where the branches, right? And without him we can do nothing. Nothing at all. And look at verse 9 again. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will move the iniquity of that land in one day. The Lord Jesus Christ, the great high priest, the great high priest, who having our names engraved upon his heart Is our almighty advocate. He's interceding for you and I as believers right now before the Father. He's our intercessor before God. And look at the latter words of verse 9: And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, spoken of in this passage as the branch and the stone, is the one who's coming, the Messiah who's coming. And we know he's came. And he's accomplished salvation. Perfect salvation. It says he would take away the iniquity of his people in one great day of atonement. How? When he died on Calvary's cross. One day. Took it all away. The iniquity of a number that no man can number. And here they are mocking our king at the cross. They're mocking our great God. They're mocking our king. They're saying, well, he saved others. He can't save himself. And he's there dying on the cross, saving a number that no man can number. And marvel at this. Wonder of wonders. We who are his people were included in that number. My. They have no clue who he is. No wonder the centurion said, truly, this is the Son of God. my Christ the servant the branch removed the iniquity of his people when he died on the cross he's the great sin remover he's the great sin bearer he's the great high priest he's the great advocate he's the great intercessor he's the one who pleads our cause with the father he's the one who who has obtained our salvation he's the one who keeps us from falling and will one day present us faultless before his throne. Why? Because it pleased him to do so. My, where's bride beloved? And the sacrifices that the, the, priest, the priests were sinful men, and they, required to, they were required to offer a sacrifice in the Old Testament for themselves as well as those who they represented. We looked at that. We've looked at that before in many messages. And the sacrifices these priests offered, they were inadequate. They could never take away sin. But see, Christ was sinless. He didn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself. He was sinless. So he offers himself up as a sacrifice for our sins. My. And his sacrifice was perfect of infinite value, of infinite value, it makes him the priest, and the priest we need, it makes him the advocate we need, with the Father, scripture says this in Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 14, the scriptures declare this, but Christ being come, and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not to say of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. His own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He obtained it by his perfect sacrifice. He has it, and he can give it to whomever he pleases. Marvel, if you're a believer, Marvel that he's given you that. And he's given me that. That's incredible. We didn't ask for it. We didn't deserve it. We could never work enough to to merit it. And yet he freely gave it to us. Oh, wonder of wonders. It says, for the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ... Who through the eternal Spirit offered himself up, what? Without spot. That means when he was dying, and when our sin was placed upon him, he was sinless. He was without spot. He was perfect. He's holy even in his death. Now he's bearing our sins and iniquities, but he's no sinner. He's saving sinners. And he offered himself up without spot. Who did he offer himself up without spot to? The scripture says to God. And it says purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now we desire to serve God as believers. Now we desire to serve him. My. In the one great sacrifice of Christ our great high priest is perpetually accepted and effectual. His work is is so perfect, nothing ever needs to be done. Nothing ever needs to be added to it. Not by anyone. Again, it is perfect means it's bought to a perfect end. Bought to perfection. In the Greek. And when he was done, what did he do? He sat down, didn't he? Right now he's seated at the right hand of God. He's, the work's done. The high priest never sat down in the Old Testament. There's always something they had to do. But Christ finished the work and now he's sitting down. And he's interceding for you and I as believers. Oh, it's wondrous. And one day we're going to see him. By God's grace and mercy, we're going to see him face to face one day. It be absolutely incredible. Let's close looking at verse 10, where we see that the born-again, blood-washed believers are to enjoy life. We're to enjoy our lives here on this earth. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye, ye call every man and his neighbor under the vine and unto the fig tree. Let us walk in the truth, beloved. Let us think about this this week. Let us walk in the truth that our sins are fully forgiven. Fully forgiven. They're forgiven in Christ. He's, he's put them away, beloved. He's put them away. He who is the prophet, priest, and king of our salvation, he's put them all away. He who is the advocate of his people, he's put away our sins. He who is God incarnate in our flesh, he put away our sins. He who gave the law and we broke it says, I don't condemn you anymore because I satisfied my own law in your place. What a Savior! You ever heard of a king doing that for a bunch of peasants? Never. Yet the king of glory did that for you and I. Poor, bankrupt sinners. It's marvelous. Christ is the one who's put away our sin. And now we enjoy. Now we enjoy that fact, don't we? We live in this world, and we're going to have ups and downs in this world, but we can have a peace knowing that all our sins are forgiven, knowing that when we breathe our last breath, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And we celebrate that with one another, don't we? We, we rejoice at that fact. And we love the fact that salvation is of the Lord. That's of nothing we do. If it had anything to do with us, we'd mess it up. But praise be to God salvation in Christ is perfect because the perfect man the perfect man obtained eternal salvation for us hallelujah what a savior and if you're a believer may may God edify you with this truth this week may you think upon this truth this week and if you're one outside of Christ and do not know Christ may the Lord give you faith to look to him I mean, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust him and rest him. And we who, we who are God's people are but saved sinners. The only one who's made us to differ from any other sinner in this world is God. May God be pleased to do that for you if you do not know him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy.